Good evening, Tracy. Good evening, Christine. <laughs> Good to see you again. So, so we're we're back. Um, we're doing our second episode of a podcast that's the cross between sensible medicine and vaccine curious. Um, we're we're both in Denmark right now. Um, and yesterday we met in the studio and we in a studio in Copenhagen and we we had our first um, first podcast recording. And um, there were so many things we wanted to talk about that we thought we'd do a second. Uh, we, we would do a series of episodes on specific vaccines, um, uh, looking specifically at childhood va vaccines and issues with research and safety and risks and benefits and what we what we know and what we would like to learn. Um, and um, so I just wanted to briefly reintroduce myself since I didn't really do that yesterday, but um, I'm Tracy Beth Hurt and um, I am a physician uh, in private practice in California. And I also am a PhD uh, epidemiologist and I am currently working in, at the University of California, San Francisco um, in the VK Prasad lab. And, and then um, I'll let Christine introduce herself. Thank you, Tracy. I'm Christine Stable Ben. I'm a medical doctor and a PhD and a doctor of medicine and also a professor of global health at University of Southern Denmark. And Tracy and I got to know each other through social media. So sometimes some good things come out of being on social media. <laughs> and we've started a conversation on vaccines that I greatly enjoy. And that is why we're now thinking we wanted to invite other people on board uh, and listen to these conversations and also potentially, I think you made a post, Tracy, where you announced that we would be talking and ask people what they would like us to talk about. And there were so many things that was uh, were apparently on people's mind and, and things they struggled with or thought about and wanted us to discuss. So I think there is a huge interest out there in uh, listening to people talk about vaccines. and. This is where we hope we can contribute. Definitely. Well, I agree with you. And that's a good segue to what we're going to be talking about today, because the thing that um, inspired my post on Twitter was your response to RFK Jr.'s um, discussion of your research, your research uh, group's paper on uh, the DTP vaccine, which is the diphtheria tetanus pertussis vaccine. And um, uh, just to be clear, so that's a, the DTP vaccine is a non-live vaccine that has whole cell pertussis in it and is not given in the United States or Denmark. So it's not really, it's not given in first world countries from what I understand. It's given some places in Africa and Asia. Finding out exactly where it is being given uh, has been quite a challenge uh, for me, but Christine maybe can, can shed some light on that, but I just really want to briefly introduce like the the um, the background for this conversation today. So the DTP vaccine, um, RFK Jr. So just to back up one second, the DTP vaccine, like I said, that's different from the the DTAP vaccine um, or the Tdap vaccine, um, both of which you can get in the United States. I'm I'm learning, and you can speak to the what's true in Denmark, but the DTP vaccine, which is what we're going to be discussing today, um, uh, like I said, it has whole cell pertussis in it, and the DTAP vaccine has acellular pertussis antigen in it. And so the United States switched to using 
the um, DTaP vaccine in 1996, from what I'm understanding, and it was based on safety concerns. And so, um, but the, the DTP vaccine continues to be given in Africa and Asia and is um, being donated by the World Health Organization or the Gates Foundation. Um, maybe we can get into that. I'm a little unclear exactly who's donating it, but in any case, it's still being given and the World Health, or the it's the Gates Foundation, I believe, who is uh, donating it. And then the World Health Organization you, you don't, you're shaking your head to correct me there. That was actually <laughs> yes. our, our well, junior saying, so maybe we can get that straight. Yes, so that was one of the details. I, I think he got uh, wrong in what he said about the DTP vaccine. Just let me just go back one step and say that you're absolutely right. It's the whole cell pertussis vaccine version of the vaccine against diphtheria, tetanus and pertussis, which is being used in Africa and Asia. And where most high-income countries uh, some decades ago switched to acellular pertussis because there were more side effects to the whole cell pertussis vaccine. On the other hand, it does give better protection against pertussis. So this is part of the reason, I guess, apart from the price uh, or cost of vaccine that has made the low-income countries continue to use the whole cell pertussis version of the vaccine against diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. Uh, I'm not aware, actually, in Denmark that there were some serious safety concerns, but just that the side effects were were not trivial. Um, the Im immediate acute reactions to getting vaccinated with fever, malaise, uh, uh, uncomfortable children, there, there were considerable um, uh, such reactions, and this was why this, the switch was made. To my knowledge now, this uh, vaccine is not part of uh, what Gavi delivers to low-income countries. I'm actually not sure about it, but I, I don't think Gates is involved in funding it. And I also think maybe it's a bit beyond the, the point to discuss who is actually distributing them. It shouldn't make uh, any consequences. And so I... I um, so RFK Jr., because I know a lot of people listen to his um, his interview with uh, when when Joe Rogan interviewed him, and he said um, when he was talking about this DTP vaccine that there were one in three hundred children who either died from it or had brain damage, which seemed like a pretty um, that that seemed like uh, a very serious uh, claim that I was not actually able to find evidence of and um i don't know if you have any have any insight into that but i know that there was he talked about that there was some litigation about the vaccine and that 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 was an impetus potentially to switch to the dtap vaccine but from what you're telling me and from what i could gather from the research that i was doing it looked like it was more an issue of the reactogenicity and just the side effect profile um, of one versus the other. And that was the reason for the switch. But the other thing that RFK Jr. said, which I uh, want to get to is he talked about um, your study that you did in Guinea-Bissau. And um, so I think before we get into the details of that study, because you guys, I'll, I'll just give away that he, he was correct that you, you did find an increased mortality rate, um, which was twice as high among girls than as it was in boys. So it was 10 times, you know, to, uh, 
um, that there was a tenfold risk of uh, an elevated risk of mortality in the girls who got the who got the DTP vaccine uh, versus those who did not, and and then there was um, it was fivefold for the boys, and you had this very nice natural experiment based on when the children were assigned to be weighed based on their birth date, and then you were able to almost do a randomized type of trial um, because of the randomness of when a child's birthday is based on that. And maybe you can talk about that study, but then also I think we would love to hear about um, the, the Bandom Health Institute and the project that you have um, in Guinea-Bissau that, that Denmark has had, I think since the 1970s, since 1978, is that correct? Yeah, so the Bandom Health Project is a field station in Guinea-Bissau in West Africa, and it was established in uh, 1978 by Danish anthropologist uh, Peter Abi, who came there as a part of a Swedish mission to understand better why the child mortality was so high. And in particular, there was a focus on malnutrition, which turned out not to be a very prominent problem in Guinea-Bissau, uh, but what turned out to be a big problem was infect were infectious diseases and the fact that children succumbed to them and, and died from them in a very high rate. So at the time when Peter came to Guinea-Bissau, child mortality was 50%. So every second child never made it to five years of age. Um, and this was overwhelmingly due to infectious diseases. Um, so shortly after arriving in five, 10 years after, I think it became very clear through various studies to Peter that measles vaccine had what we have coined beneficial non-specific effects. So the children who got a measles vaccine survived much better than one could explain based on the prevention of measles infection. Uh, so just briefly, it seems that measles vaccine trains the immune system in, in a beneficial manner. So it is better um, equipped to handle all kinds of infectious uh, threats. And that led into a major investigation of all the childhood vaccines, because seeing this for measles vaccine, of course, the, the next question, and, and that was where I joined Peter's group also, was to, to ask ourselves, would, that, would other vaccines have such nonspecific effects? Um, and in fact, that had never been investigated. Everybody was so sure that the only thing a vaccine would do was to prevent against the vaccine disease. So vaccines have only been studied for these effects and never for their effects on the immune system in general and how it handles uh, other infectious threats. And, and it turns out that the immune system is like a brain. It's pretty smart. It learns things from encounters with one type of bacteria or virus that it can use in a number of other situations, which is really evolutionary speaking, how you want your immune system to work. You want it to, to learn and not just learn one thing from one virus, but to learn more generally about handling infectious threats. threats. And, and that um, in, in some situations we saw for, for all the live attenuated vaccines we studied that the immune system really learned a good lesson from these vaccines. It became better at combating all kinds of infectious threats. But, but we saw then and started to see that for non-live vaccines, like the diphtheria tetanus pertussis vaccine, and these are the vaccines, the non-live ones that people will know because these are the ones where you have to go to the doctor or to have many shots because the non-live vaccines are not very good at 
creating specific immunity. So you typically need to have three doses, many booster doses and so on to maintain your immunity. So these non-live vaccines, unfortunately, seem to train the immune system in a less um, positive or actually a negative way in the sense that when you got these vaccines, it reduced your risk of the severe diseases that they protected against, like diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. But it seemed that that protection came at a high price, which was that you had the children had a higher susceptibility in a period after receiving these non-live vaccines, higher susceptibility to other infections, unrelated infections. So this signal came out quite clearly in a study that we published in 2000 and which showed that within the same population, the live vaccines were associated with huge survival benefits, but the DTP vaccine was associated with increased mortality, even though we know that there is an underlying bias in all these studies, that is that parents are reluctant to vaccinate their ill children. So we have what we call a healthy vaccine bias. Um, there will always be a tendency that no matter which vaccine you give, you will see better survival because of this healthy vaccine bias. But but in the case of the live vaccines, it was much more than you could explain from healthy vaccine bias. And the really puzzling thing was that we saw this negative effect of DTP vaccine in uh, despite this healthy vaccine bias. It shouldn't happen. So this was a danger signal. And we went to WHO and said, we have this, uh, we have this safety signal on DTP vaccine. And, and we are concerned about it. So they sent a mission of three people to Guinea-Bissau to go through all our papers, all our documents, all the study case reports, et cetera. And they did that. And they actually sat in Guinea-Bissau and wrote an emergency uh, scenario report because they couldn't like find the error. There was nothing wrong with the data. Every file they pulled out of a child that was reported death could be confirmed. Everything in the data was uh, questionnaire by questionnaire confirmed. So so they, they saw this problem too and went back to the WHO and said, we have, we have a problem here. Um, so WHO commissioned a number of other sites to look at DTP vaccine. They didn't invite us or our group into the actual process, which was a pity because we were, we just managed to, to, to tell them in this uh, initial phase that it was extremely important how you analyze the data. So when you have data where you come out every three months or six months and collect information data, because this is the way you do it in, in these low income sites, you, you will come at more or less frequent house visits and ask for children and their whereabouts if they're still alive or dead, and you will ask for their vaccination record. And the problem is that in most low-income countries, if a child dies, it will be, uh, its, its vaccination card will be burned. Uh, it will not be kept. Um, so if you came out with the, if you came out to a house and inquired about a child that was dead, it would not have its vaccination status updated. Um, and if you, what, what the, it's a little bit technical, but if you come out to a house and you see a child that is, that survived and you see its vaccination records and you see it was vaccinated three months ago, 
with DTP vaccine. Then point number one is you should not retrospectively update its vaccination record because then you give it, technically speaking, three months of risk-free survival time. You, you, yeah, again, I apologize, this is a bit technical, but this is one, yeah. one error you cannot do. And the other error is you should not, if you if a child is dead, you cannot assume that it was unvaccinated. It could have been vaccinated and then the card was lost. But they, the WHO Commission studies, unfortunately, all made one of this error or other errors that made the results completely flawed. And for instance, in this case, I mean, some studies did this error of saying if a child had died and they didn't see the record, they assumed it was unvaccinated. So they kind of boosted the number of dead unvaccinated children. And at the same time, they retrospectively updated the, the vaccination vaccination dates for, for children who survived. And in that way, gave them all this risk-free survival time. So their mortality rate was so low. So they came out with estimates saying that DTP vaccine had reduced all-cause mortality by 91%. You know, you can, you can hear from this figure that this is completely an utter nonsense. You cannot have a vaccine against diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis that reduces mortality. I mean, literally made you uh, unable to die. So, so there was so much bias in these studies. But... Nonetheless, WHO came out and said, we are, we are relieved. This danger signal, uh, the safety signal was not there. Uh, we have seen now a number of studies showing there's no problem with DTP. So this was in 2002. Yeah, so you... Sorry? No, I, I just wanted, no, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you're talking about all good, you know, kinds of bias that, you know, people uh, might be interested in knowing about. I mean, you're talking about immortal time bias and misclassification bias and, uh, and, you know, the reason that these are interesting is, is because the, these don't, these don't happen in a randomized control trial, not in a perspective one. I was thinking, you know, it may be an issue with the, with the burning of the vaccination card, but with a randomized study, you're going to record, you know, what the, if the child does or does not receive a vaccine and you know exactly when they do or um, receive it. And so when you know that, then you get rid of the immortal time bias and the misclassification bias. And, and so the WHO wants randomized, at least they at one point said, we should do a randomized study uh, of, of, of the DTP vaccine and, and it never was done. Is that correct? Because correct. they got these reassuring results from the review of the observational studies. Is that right? The story is a bit longer, but let me just uh, say and comment on this part about randomized trials that the issue here is that once a vaccine is recommended, it becomes incredibly challenging to test it in a randomized trial, because that would imply that you should take away a randomized or sorry, a recommended vaccine from some children or delay it. And that we simply haven't had ethics permission to, to do such a randomized trial. There are other designs that could reveal whether there is a true problem with DTP, but but that has, I, I can come back to them if we have time. But but just to say this, uh, these That's observational great. studies were actually in this particular situation, when you did them correctly, when you avoided making these classical errors of immortal time bias and misclassification, they actually came out and showed again and again this higher mortality in spite of the bias. So in absence of randomized trials, I actually think we have fairly good observational data or very good observational data. 
in to say that DTP vaccine is associated with increased mortality. And, and some other signals that I find worthy of mentioning is that we see consistently when measles or PCG vaccine, the live vaccines are the most recent vaccines, then girls have lower mortality than boys. But if DTP vaccine is the most recent vaccine and you compare DTP vaccinated boys and girls, there shouldn't be any difference in their mortality in, a, in, in an African setting. There are no differences in the treatment of boys and girls, but girls consistently have 50% higher mortality than boys. So here we are, we've gotten rid of the bias. All children were vaccinated, but within the vaccinated children, you have this highly significantly higher mortality rate among the girls and among the boys, which completely swaps around once the children get measles vaccine. So there, it's not just the comparison of vaccinated, unvaccinated children, it's also the comparison of the female-male mortality ratio, which add credibility to this signal we have seen in relation to, to DTP vaccine. But let me get back to, to the chronology and say that it took several years before WHO acknowledged, and this was by professors at London School and Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, who raised the flag, wrote an editorial and said, there is a, a big problem with these WHO Commission studies on DTP vaccine because they were having emotional time bias. They were uh, having misclassification of unvaccinated children. Many of them studied the combination of BCG and DTP vaccine, which is a different cup of tea than DTP alone. So they they actually said we, we need to rethink this, this DTP issue. And WHO then went that out. Was said, said that right? That was Ice Age. Was that who said that? Was that oh some yeah? No, this was uh, this was two independent researchers from London School. Got it. Okay. Okay. But but WHO came out afterwards and said, well, we'll keep a watch for non-specific effects. We acknowledge that that this matter hasn't been closed down yet. Then more studies accumulated, and in 2013, WHO conducted a review of. BCG measles vaccine, the two live vaccines, and DTP vaccine, the non-live vaccine. And the results were quite clear that BCG and measles vaccine, even within the same populations, were associated with mortality reductions, but DTP vaccine was consistently associated with higher mortality, even though we weren't completely satisfied with the selection of studies that WHO had used for their review, because there were still studies which, to our uh, in our assessment, had this uh, tremendous bias, like a study from Papua New Guinea, which showed extremely beneficial results, which kind of pulled the DTP estimate towards just barely, I mean, just being borderline significant. So it kind of, a lot of people interpreted this as if, well, it wasn't significant. So, so what's the problem? But the big problem was that there was nobody who could come up with any kind of bias which could explain why two types of two vaccines should be very beneficial and one vaccine should be harmful in the same context. And then mm -hmm. comes a long yeah, story, yeah. but then comes the study after the DTP review, we went back or the WHO review, we went back to the old records when DTP was introduced in Guinea-Bissau by our teams in the 1980s, mid 1980s. At that time, nobody studied what had happened because everybody was sure that this was a good idea. This was a service to the community. There was no DTP vaccine around at that time. But our teams, uh, because the focus still was uh, on nutrition, had three monthly weighing sessions. At, and at these sessions, they provided DTP vaccines. 
um, to the children who had reached the age of three months when they came from for their weighing session. So in fact, what we had here was a beautiful natural experiment because it was the child's birth date in relation to the dates of the three monthly weighing sessions, which determined whether a child would get DTP vaccine just when it had become three months old or uh, uh, or later on. So a child could be two months and 29 days at the date of the weighing session, and it would have been deemed too young to be vaccinated, and it would be postponed until five months and 29 days at the next three monthly weighing session. But children who were three months and one day at the weighing session would be vaccinated. So we had in the time window between three and six months, we had comparable children who were just, it was just randomness in terms of their birth date in relation to the weighing sessions, which determined whether they were vaccinated earlier or late, late in this period. And when we did the, summed up the death, that is where, and this is the study that BFK Jr. is referring to, that is where we saw a significantly increased mortality in children who had received DTP early versus later. And it was tenfold increased in females, but not significantly so, and fivefold increased in, in boys. So these are the absolute numbers that JFK Jr. is quoting. But if you take that study alone, it's a beautiful design. You cannot find anything that's closer to a randomized trial. But numbers were quite small, and you could, just looking at that sole study, you could say this was a chance event. But it, I'm convinced that it's not a chance event. I noticed it was only right. I noticed it was only in the when I went back and reviewed it. It was 1,300 children, something like around that. But there was only one death in each of the female groups when you compared the vaccinated to the unvaccinated. So you can see it was a very like I I was going to ask you about that because I think people reading it could think well you know, the denominator was smaller um, in the unvaccinated group, but there was one female death, the denominator was larger. Um, I'm sorry, in the vaccinated group, the denominator was larger in the the um, unvaccinated group. And there was just the, the, there was one female death in each. And so you can see why the confidence intervals were so wide since it was only based on, on the one female death in each group of vaccinated versus unvaccinated. I know you're probably going back and looking at it right now. I think now. I can sure. actually, I can maybe share it here on the screen here. Let me, uh, let me see if you can see it. Isn't that a good idea here? So what you're referring to is like, we had one girl dying among the unvaccinated um, or the DTP only group here uh, and one death in the unvaccinated girls. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So numbers are small. And as I said, overall, if you look at all children, there was a fivefold significantly increased mortality for the DTP vaccinated versus unvaccinated. In girls, it was tenfold higher, but not statistically significant. In boys, it was, sorry, fourfold higher and statistically significant. But, but, Coming back to what I, I said before, this is um, a study that if you take it in itself, you would you would be able to say, well, this is a chance finding with this higher female mortality. It's not statistically significant. I mean, you might find reasons to also dim dismiss the overall result, 
uh, but but this study is not the sole study. And I'll just scroll down because I know down here I had actually present uh, a presentation of the three studies in total that we did during the introduction of DTP vaccine in Guinea-Bissau. So these are urban infants from 1981 and onwards, urban children, so the older children from 1981 and onwards, and then a study from the rural areas where DTP was introduced in 1984. And you can see here that one indicates that mortality is the same in the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And anything, every, every effect estimate here, these are the mortality ratios comparing DTP vaccinated mortality ratio divided by the mortality rate in, in the unvaccinated. And you can see this mortality ratio is consistently above one and it's significantly above one in each one of these um, individual studies. And in the in the combined analysis, being DTP vaccinated is associated with a, a more than twofold higher mortality than being DTP unvaccinated. And again, I don't I'm I'm not aware of any kind of bias which would introduce such a higher mortality. It has been invoked that oh maybe um, it's the ill children who are brought for vaccination or they are brought to the health center when they are ill and then they are vaccinated. That has kind of been put forward as a, a an attempt to explain mm -hmm. why vaccinated children should have higher mortality. But all these studies were not providing DTP vaccine in connection with health center visits. And again, it would never explain why other vaccines have this uh, healthy vaccine bias. It just doesn't add up. You cannot get the totality of data to make sense with that uh, attempt of explaining why there is a higher mortality associated with DTP vaccine. So, yeah. so this is in, in brief. Now we have a total of 17 studies that have done prospective follow-up that have, have avoided the immortal time bias and misclassification of death, which are looking at DTP alone and not DTP given with BCT. So it fulfill, they fulfill the criteria that we would put up for a good observational study, and they all yield the same results. They all come to the same conclusion that it's worse to be DTP vaccinated than not. And this should also be seen in the light that particularly the studies of the introduction of DTP in the 80s were done in a context where there was a lot of pertussis and the vaccines undoubtedly protected against pertussis. So in spite of this specific protection against diphtheria, tetanus, and, and particularly pertussis, which was a, a, a big killer at the time, then you have this signal. And, and it's truly concerning to me. There's nothing I would wish more than it wasn't the case because this is a research finding that has major uh, potential implications and and it could be detrimental to vaccine programs and trust in vaccines etc but i actually find that right now the most the biggest risk to vaccine programs and confidence is not doing anything not showing due diligence and not responding to these uh, signals and this is unfortunately what is happening on the side of, of WHO and of policymakers. There's no attempt to get to the bottom of this. And coming back to what you asked me about, can we do randomized trials? I think it would be, in spite of all this data, it would still probably be difficult to get ethics permission to delay DTP vaccine. Ideally, this is what you 
if you wanted to address the scientific question, you would say, let's DTP vaccinate a, a big group of children at six, 10 and 14 weeks, like it's, like it's done now. And let's postpone it to say six, seven, eight months in another group of children. But I think there would be too many ethics committees that would still find it troublesome. And I might personally, I'm not, it's, it's not a study I'm very eager to do either because it is, of course, you run a risk that children will die from pertussis in the meantime, in while they're in the control group. Um, but there are other yeah, so interesting. I, I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but you, you go on. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll just say there are other to study to science that we I, would, I, for I, instance, I we would, for instance, be very eager to do a study where we would give a second dose of BCG vaccine with the third dose of DTP vaccine because we have seen, and this was also clear in the WHO review that if you give a live vaccine with or shortly after the non-live vaccine, then you can mitigate that negative uh, impact on the immune system. And we have also shown immunologically how this happens. We have a study where we gave Dutch women BCG, DTP, or both. And we can show that DTP vaccine downregulates their innate and their adaptive immune system three months after they were vaccinated. But then we did a crossover. And when we give them BCG vaccine afterwards, it restores their uh, immune system's ability to respond. So, so immunologically, we can also now explain why DTP has negative effects and also how you can um, can mitigate that negative effect. Yeah. So, well, so many questions, but one 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 uh, specific question to your studies in Guinea-Bissau is: were were all the populations of children different, or was it overlapping? groups of children or were all of the studies using different groups of children so they're all separate studies yes separate? so we've taken uh, taken care that all the publications i mean to avoid overlap between populations so in all the meta-analysis we have done there are no uh, kind of repeat <laughs> populations included yeah and i should also say that this is not and just then, studies done in guinea-bissau but also in malawi in benin in Bangladesh, in India, uh, these studies results have been repeated elsewhere. Okay, yeah, and so I think, um, you know, what to what extent do we need should should we be worrying about this with the non-live vaccines, you know, that are being given in the United States and Denmark? Um, with the, the, I know a lot of people want to know. What about the DTaP vaccine? And and before you answer, I, I just want to get back to explain why it why it is we find ourselves in this situation right now, which is what you alluded to in the beginning when we initially test for the efficacy of these vaccines using randomized studies. We look at disease specific outcomes, and so just as a follow up to discuss, you know, whether or not you know this is something we should be worried about with the non live vaccines is. Um, you know, if moving forward when we're doing randomized studies, you know, the, the importance of adding um, like overall mortality and, and overall hospitalization rates. And I know a lot of people are already pushing for that for, um, you know, for example, the new RSV vaccine that will be given to the, uh, pregnant women and, and that, that we need to be looking at sort of, you know, more overall health outcomes rather than just disease specific. And I think, you know, that's probably one of the most important 
things, this, um, you know, these, uh, these findings with the non-live vaccines um, have, have taught us. Um, so curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so, so with regards to the current system for, for, for testing and approving and regulating vaccines, we just wrote a paper proposing a new framework where we are saying we, we simply haven't, the, the, the system, the current system is not up to date with the latest science because the current system only looks at the specific effects of a vaccine and then on these solicited adverse events, the typical fever and and pain at the injection site and so on in the first weeks after vaccination. And then they also look at death and hospitalization, so severe adverse events over a, a period of perhaps six months. But, but uh, you know, if you took an RSV vaccine in pregnancy and you had a pneumonia, um, uh, if, if you were randomized to RSV vaccine in pregnancy and you had a pneumonia with, with streptococci, three months later, nobody would assume that this had anything to do with the vaccine. It wouldn't be counted as an as a potential outcome of your vaccination. And this is a major flaw now in the current system for testing vaccines because they simply don't capture all these nonspecific outcomes. And I have to say, I don't know many researchers who would deny that because the, the data is... Uh, the evidence is so overwhelming that vaccines can affect the risk of other infections. And we have shown it, as I mentioned, immunologically also down to the most detailed molecular level, how it is possible, for instance, that a BCG vaccine against tuberculosis can completely alter how you respond to a yellow fever virus four weeks later. That we can, we can explain in greatest detail. So there is no way of going back to kind of the, the previous understanding of vaccines as something that only affects the vaccine disease. And therefore, we need a new system for testing and approving and regulating vaccines to bring it up to date with the latest research. Yes, and I, I have to ask about the COVID-19 vaccine since I know those are on everyone's mind too. And I think a lot of people have been worried about a potential similar effect of those vaccines. Um, and and I, I think, I mean, a lot of people will call it imprinting. I'm not sure if that's exactly what you would call it, but I know I've heard you describe it in your TED talk as, you know, focusing focusing the immune system so narrowly on, on, one, um, on one antigen and, and that, that that can have, you know, then you're not able to fight all sorts of other um, pathogens. Um, but I'm curious if you have that that concern for the COVID-19 vaccines, especially with like repeat doses and if that's, you know, an extra yes. concern or doses you give. Yes, so absolutely. And thank you for bringing that up because I mentioned the various uh, types of evidence we have for the negative effects of DTP. So when we compare vaccinated and unvaccinated children, we see that there's higher mortality among the vaccinated children. When we compare males and females, uh, vaccinated children, we can see females have higher mortality. But we can actually also see that that increased female versus male mortality increases with each dose of DTP vaccine. So very clear dose response that this seems to be worse the more doses of DTP vaccine you get. Uh, so, so I think there is a dose response issue there. We were very curious about the new uh, COVID-19 vaccines because they come 
at a new type of platform that, I, I mean, you could, generally speaking, you could consider them both live and non-live. I wasn't sure whether to think about the mRNA vaccines as live or non-live. I was more maybe sure that, or speculated that the adenovirus vectored vaccines could be acting as live vaccines because they are built on a live adenovirus but it's not replicating. So on the other hand, it, it might be that it, it worked like a non-live vaccine. But as you know, and everybody knows, the vaccines were not tested for their effect on other infections and other and, and overall mortality um, before they were being introduced. They were only tested for their effect against COVID. So coming back again to this flaw in how we test vaccines, because it is not uh, enough but we went back to the phase three trials, phase two and phase three trials, and we teased out all the reported deaths in these trials, and they had to be reported as a part of the serious adverse event reporting. I have to say it was done quite stepmotherly. It was, uh, they, were, they were kind of, you know, they we say these phase three trials are for safety and efficacy, but clearly the focus is on efficacy and the safety data was not very well reported and for instance there was no reporting of these events by sex so it was not possible to see if it was a male or a female who died at any given time point in these trials but uh, but what we saw was that when we compared the adenovirus vectored uh, vaccinated with the placebo vaccinated within the the phase two trade three trials of these vaccines there was a significantly lower all-cause mortality among the vaccinated. And this was not just due to lower risk of dying from COVID-19, but there was a general significantly decreased risk of dying from all causes in these trials, which is compatible, I mean, by no means conclusive, but compatible with the idea that these vaccines that are built on a live adenovirus vector, that they have beneficial nonspecific effects. On the other hand, for the mRNA vaccines, there was a tendency for a decrease in all-cause mortality or in COVID-19 mortality, which was not significant in itself, but clearly in the direction that everybody would anticipate. But th this was counterbalanced by an increased risk of dying from other causes. So the net result was that there was no mortality benefit whatsoever of, of being in the mRNA group versus the placebo group within these trials. I should say that the confidence intervals are, are wide and it's compatible still with huge mortality benefits of around 30% uh, mortality reduction after mRNA vaccination, but it's unfortunately also compatible with the possibility that the vaccines could overall be increasing all-cause mortality, which I'm by no means saying, but I'm just saying this is, we, we, we cannot conclude anything about the vaccine's effect on all-cause mortality based on these trials. Yes, no, I completely agree with that. And that speaks uh, to the population that was included in the trials too, and also the duration of the follow-up, which was short. And then that we really were, they were younger, uh, you know, adults, um, and we really weren't focusing the initial trials on the older adults where we maybe would have been able to get more of an answer to those, to those questions. And, and also I would just say a lot of people have read your study and, and interpreted it to mean, well, you know, maybe I should have gotten the adenovirus vector vaccine versus the um, mRNA vaccine for COVID-19. And then, you know, you add to that, though, the consideration of the, the VIT and the, the blood clot risk, especially in young women, 
um, after the adenovirus vex vector vaccine. And so, I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole different story, but I, I did kind of see a lot of people take that to mean, oh, I, I, I got the wrong vaccine, but, but certainly in, in, in young, in young women and probably young men too, I mean, that, that risk of the, um, of, of, of it was, um, was very, it was considerable. And there's been a study now out of England really showing what a strong signal that was. It was a self-controlled case series, especially in women's um, mortality risk. But, but getting back to, I want to get back to the DTP vaccine um, because I, I specifically actually want to ask you about the, 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 the DTAP vaccine and the vaccines that are being given right now in Denmark and the US and sort of, you know, if the Danish government, let's say, came to you and said, well, now we, we don't know, should, should we keep recommending this vaccine based on the findings from your, you know, nonspecific effects of the DTP vaccine? You know, what would you, and how do you, I mean, are you asked to give advice to people on whether or not they should give their children these non-live vaccines? And, and, and what do you, what do you consider? I mean, it's it's a tough question, right? <laughs> yeah. I I I always uh, answer that question by telling people that I gave my two children. I have a boy and a girl. I gave them. They're now old. They're twenty five and twenty seven. But they received all the vaccines in the Danish vaccination program. Um, I also have to say, like we talked about in a previous uh, talk we had, Tracy, that the Danish program is quite uh, a slim one. We don't have a lot of vaccines. Yeah. It's a very conservative program in that sense. It's only vaccinating against diseases that are serious threats to, to the child's health, apart, you may say, from measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, which was only introduced in 1987 in Denmark, because there was really a lot of discussion on whether should we have a vaccine against diseases that weren't considered very severe for children. But anyhow, I, I I say that I vaccinated, I vaccinated my children, but I also state that this was with the Danish program because I'm I would never vaccinate my child according to the U.S. program. I have to say I'm I'm appalled by the fact that that the U.S. is recommended hepatitis B vaccine to everybody at birth, even though it's only necessary if you have a mother who is hepatitis B positive and you screen for that in pregnancy, so you can target that vaccine as we do in Denmark to the children who are, have a specific need for it, but avoid vaccinating more than 95% of the population who do not need to receive that vaccine. So that is a vaccine I would not give my newborn child under any circumstances. Again, coming back to the fact that it hasn't been studied. It's an, a non-live vaccine and it has never been studied for its effect on overall health. I, I uh, We use the well, I should say, fortunately, in our part of the world, children don't die from infectious diseases. It's extremely rare. So even if a non-live vaccine for a period increased your risk of other infectious diseases, it would probably not or very unlikely lead to any detrimental outcomes. Um, so that's another factor that tips in when I discuss whether to vaccinate or not with also non-live vaccines in, in a Danish context or a US context. I would love to, to do what we should have done from the beginning, namely to test the vaccines in proper randomized trials. And I think there are windows of opportunities for that. So in Denmark, we use a, a DT booster at five years of age and MMR a booster at four years of age I don't see any reason why we shouldn't randomize uh, 
the Danish population, for instance, based on birth date, if you were born on an equal or an unequal date of the month, uh, to receive these vaccines in the current order and the opposite of order, which would give us a, a time window of from four to five years of age where we could compare children who have a live and a non-live vaccine as a most recent vaccine for their overall health outcomes. You could do that over a couple of years in Denmark and you would have a giant data set which could address also concerns about rare uh, outcomes. So in that sense, I think there are ample opportunities and this is also what I hope we'll be discussing uh, in, in future episodes, Tracy, of what, what, what kind of studies could actually be done where we wouldn't put anybody at risk, but where there is a, an equipoise for it or, or, you know, some kind of uh, incentive actually to, to try to see if we could optimize the vaccination schedule. So it has both optimal specific and non-specific effects. Yes. Well, I really do hope that I agree. One of the results of our discussions is we're able to do, you know, a study, maybe even both in Denmark and the United States, because the United States has such a large population and Denmark has really uh, some really great researchers with uh, wonderful ideas like yourself. So um, I, I think it would be it, it, it would be amazing to 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 do a study, um, a randomized study like that, where you just basically switch the change the timing of when um, the children receive the vaccine. And I I know we're we're going to be I well we I don't know if you briefly want to talk about the fact that Finland has been doing a a lottery system um, to look at a vaccine safety in their population. I know you have been looking into that, but that's really based on when they when they roll out a new a new vaccine, correct? Yes. So they have done it, to my knowledge, for rotavirus vaccine and also for the. A new four-valent influenza vaccine versus the usual trivalent uh, tri uh, influenza vaccine. These uh, population studies where it's the health authorities who simply define that this area or this specific group will receive one or the other uh, intervention. So this is uh, seen as part of due diligence of the health authorities that they do test in, the in large population studies whatever intervention they, or at least for vaccines, some of the, the new vaccines they roll out to make sure, which makes perfectly good sense that they are actually achieving uh, the anticipated result from this intervention. And that is uh, makes a lot of sense just from the fact that we know also for all pharmaceutical drugs, uh, apart from, from vaccines, we know that what the results you achieve in a phase three trials is not necessarily comparable to what you get in real life, when you roll out an intervention in in a population where you don't have that kind of, you know, individual level scrutiny and treatment and follow up, etc. So, so under all circumstances, it makes beautiful sense. But it makes even more sense when we have, as I come back to the the current system for testing vaccines, didn't do that, and it will probably never be possible to put on the manufacturers to do large enough trials to actually address with a high degree of certainty that there are no uh, positive or negative non-specific effects of, of more rare kinds or more rare side effects. Uh, this I think is better done for many reasons by independent bodies under governments that are uh, taking a given pharmaceutical drug or a vaccine post-licensure and, and rolling them out in these phase four trials where you can get more information and, and do much bigger sample sizes. Mm, yes. Well, we'll 
we may have to come back to that in another episode, but yeah, and that's, it's, it is based on getting enough power to actually find the safety signals. But then of course we return to all the same sorts of biases with who does and doesn't get the vaccine. Um, but, um, but I like, I like the Finnish idea and I'm curious if they, have they completed the, they, did they complete the rotavirus trial? I, I assume it's published. Okay. And then they did end up giving it correct. I'm embarrassed. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't looked at that particular study. I, I need to, to look at the outcomes. Did they, did they look at just disease specific outcomes or did they look at overall? No, um, unfortunately to, to my, uh, and it's a, it's a while back. I have to admit it. I, uh, let's, let's address that. Tracy, now we oh, started on DTP and we have uh, many vaccines in front of us, but let's devote a session to rotavirus and we'll look that Rotavirus, exactly. <laughs> I would like to do that. Yeah, we should let the listeners know we're going to go through the different vaccines um, on the on the vaccination schedule, differences at the, um, th that are given in the U.S. and not in Denmark. And um, we're also going to go over the vaccines that are given in, in both countries and discuss, um, you know, what's known and what the remaining question or what que questions we have. Um, and, um, but I think maybe we'll, we'll end here today. Does that sound good? I think we have uh, stretched people's uh, patience maybe with our one hour talk about DTP, but at least I had a lot of fun, Tracy. <laughs> it was great talking with oh, you and too. getting I to, getting to tell the story about this, uh, this particular study that has received so much uh, attention and and yeah coming back to J, uh, JFK Jr and the way it it was uh, uh, I mean there were details that he got wrong about about the study and and particularly who did it and why etc but but the overall message was actually absolutely correct there is a safety signal and in that sense I'm grateful that he took up this issue because I'm appalled that nothing has happened and it's it's clearly not in the hands of a researcher like me to get 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 the ball rolling get things to happen but there might be some added attention to this issue with uh, with this increased uh, mentioning by by JFK jr so I'm 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 bottom line is yeah I'm glad it uh, th that he took up the topic and I hope it will lead to more action in this important area yeah, well, I think everyone that I've talked to has, you know, about this topic has been very appreciative that you um, that you addressed what he said, because it's so nice to hear from the actual researchers, you know, what what was correct and what, what was incorrect. Um, so um, I really appreciate the, the work you do. Um, I should also so. just say that I've written a LinkedIn article where I've right all what we talked about here. So it's available for those who, who want to, to get the full story behind that. And I'm going to put it on my sub stack. I haven't done that yet, but I will do it now. Um, so if, cause I know people have been having trouble accessing it through LinkedIn if they don't have an account. So. Super Tracy, right. very nice talking with you. Thank you too. Until next time. Until next time. <laughs>